Will you please stand? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this uh, passage in Acts, uh, Exodus chapter 3, I actually preached on a few years ago at a local church, so when I saw that on the church calendar at the beginning of the school year, I considered preaching from it, but then I said, well, I'll just focus on Matthew's gospel, and we've been focusing on what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, a citizen of the kingdom of God. But... Uh, as I've been moving through the semester, I just was impressed upon this text and, and felt led to share it with you this morning. Um, Thank you for saving my life, is what the five-year-old little girl said as she reached up and hugged the doctor that saved her life. He had performed a life-saving operation only months before, and now the little girl stood in his office, realizing that if it wasn't for this doctor, his skills and his training, she would not be alive a friend of mine who I, was in, who I was in college with at the time stood only a few feet away watching all of this take place. It was the summer between his junior and senior year of high school and he was working in the doctor's office to see if being a doctor was really what he wanted to dedicate his life to. When he witnessed this little girl reaching out to give a hug and say thank you to the doctor for saving her life, to him that was a holy ground moment. A moment when God spoke the words and actions of a child, that this is what he wanted to commit his life to. Maybe you've had holy ground moments. In fact, I'm sure that you have. An experience in life, a moment in time, or even gradually over a period of time where you sense God's leading in your life, or as it says in Isaiah, hearing God say, this is the way, now walk in. It is wonderful when those experiences confirm our desires, confirm the direction we want our life to go, confirm what we expected the future to hold, confirming where we want to live and work or go to church. At times, yes, these holy ground moments can be very exciting. At other times, however, hearing from the Lord on this holy ground can be terrifying. It can be discouraging and even at times disappointing in the moment. No, Lord, that's, that's not for me. I have other plans. Please don't ask me to do that or go there or serve there. That's not who I am. You know, I love you, Lord, but my heart's desire when it comes to serving you is someplace else. When you hear this story of Moses, do you feel for his concern? Do you understand his concern? His hesitation and not feeling adequate or qualified and and simply not wanting to do what God has called him to do. This text Chapter 3 and even into chapter 4 is often referred to as the dialogue of negotiation. It's where Moses gives a long list of his inadequacies to lead the people of God. and appears to be a list many of us use today. In 3 verse 11 he says, Lord, I'm inferior, I'm not qualified, you don't want me. In 3.13 he says, I won't know what to say, I'm ignorant, I don't, I don't know the message you want me to proclaim, you really don't want me for if we were to move into chapter 4 and verse, and verse 1, it talks about the lack of credibility. Why would they listen to me? In 4.10, it talks about how he's a, pu- a poor public speaker. Lord, they've taken speech out of the curriculum at ENC. I'm not qualified to publicly speak before others. So he gives this long list of negotiations, trying to negotiate with God. This is a holy ground moment. I understand that, Lord, but you've got it all wrong. I'm supposed to do something else. I'm supposed to go someplace else. I'm supposed to use my gifts in another way. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can understand what Moses is feeling at this moment. 
remember that his self-confidence is already in ruins. He had his chance to lead Israel out of Egypt and he botched it. In Exodus 2, you may remember, is where he killed a man, buried him, and all the Israelites saw this. and He fled and has been away for 40 years now. He's in full retreat. A prince of the Egyptian royal court now herding animals in the desert. He was suffering from spiritual burnout. He was living in shame and regret for the past. He looked back upon that failure in his life and he simply gave up. Maybe he just had a hard time forgiving himself, like many of you. He had failed in the past. He was on the run and found a comfortable lifestyle now. The last 40 years have been good and he's quite content. But God had another plan for his life and it did not involve tending sheep. Just because Moses failed in the past does not mean that God cannot use him in the future. Do not allow your past failures to control you, prohibit you, or stop you from moving forward in the direction God is leading you life. I can't blame Moses. Why would he want to leave his comfortable life to journey on a road that would be very, very difficult? He had already experienced challenges and failed. He felt more qualified and preferred to tend to, tend to the flocks of his father-in-law, Jethro. Have you ever felt like Moses? God, I'd rather life just stay the same. Let things continue the way they are. Please don't ask me to move or go or change. Please don't disrupt my life too much. You can disrupt it a little, but don't turn it upside down like this. Yes, I want to serve you. Yes, I want to follow you. But don't ask me to do this or that or go here. The road you are asking me to walk is much too difficult and, quite frankly, I don't want to walk. Moses had his pastor reference, and when it comes to the reasons as to why he is saying no, I am not qualified. They are good reasons. Certainly, we should not expect an easy road, but it often seems that God calls his followers to a much more difficult road than need be. At least that's the way it appears at times. A few years ago, I heard of a pastor who, after pastoring a church for about four years, has been asked was has been asked to leave by the board and the congregation. He was basically voted out. He has been in pastoral ministry for over thirty years, and after this experience, he no longer has the desire or the passion to pastor. He did nothing unethical or immoral; just a pastor who took his gifts and inadequacies to a church, a call from God, and after four years, he has been asked to leave. I don't know all the details or circumstances. Maybe he simply wasn't qualified for that congregation. But I think I can understand in a small way the heartache and pain that this pastor went through. Here is a pastor called by God to a church. He follows God's leading, and it ends so painfully. We look at Moses and can understand his death tried before and failed. The desire and passion are gone. Besides, nobody is qualified for what God is asking. Moses' life was fine, simple, he was content. Why call him to such a task? We know that he would have numerous failures along the way. We know the rest of the story. And not even enter the promised land. He would see the promised land from a distance, but he would never enter. God is asking too much and too often. It just doesn't even seem like he's there. Yes, I often relate more to Moses in this text with his doubts and fears than I do finding comfort in this text in the words of the 
but that's where I am. I can't help but think of this pastor. He gave all, and so little seems to have come from it, except heartache and pain. At least that is what we see from our vantage point. With Moses, we know the end. Because of his faithfulness, the Israelites eventually reached the promised land, but he did not. And that doesn't seem fair. God, he served you and followed you, risked his life, gave everything, and he doesn't even get to enter the promised land. It just doesn't seem fair. Why is it that those who choose to give and sacrifice so much often go through the most pain and suffering? They seem to be the ones that are walked on and taken advantage of more than anyone. Not that we as followers of Christ should have special treatment, but why the struggle? And I'm not talking about those in just pastoral ministry. What about those believers that decide to enter into school system and teach where there is an education gap or social workers that go into brokenness who, or business women and men who decide to bring in an ethic into their company or organization and they end up the ones losing their job? Why, Lord, when Christians seek to follow and serve you, why is it so difficult? Why the struggle? I can understand why Moses is negotiating with God. It would have been easier for Moses and his family had he just continued watching but maybe those closest followers of God are called to difficult tasks because they are the only ones qualified to handle the tasks. In an interview I heard with author Philip Yancey, he said, My own private theory, and I think this is biblical, God is nicer to new Christians. When God has a very difficult assignment, much like the army, you don't choose a new recruit for a tough assignment to be dropped behind enemy lines. You choose a veteran, a Navy SEAL or Army Ranger. I think the same with spiritual warfare. When God wants to really do tough behind-the-lines job, he finds a mature Christian who can handle those dark times. Maybe Yancey is right. God calls on those who have proven their faithfulness for they are the only ones who are prepared for the task, whether they realize it or not. They are the ones that know, even though it is a dry and thirsty land, God will provide water, even if it is from a rock. What other ways to go? Stay tending the sheep? Content? Easy? Maybe not so much struggling and strife? As followers of Christ, we are called to be faithful to those holy ground moments. Did you know that this is the first time the word holy is used in all of Scripture? It's remarkable, really. The first time the word holy is used in Scripture, it's in a narrative where God is calling someone to a complete surrender and service. It is a holy, holy moment. And not just for those in pastoral or worship, whether it's a call to be a doctor or a teacher. It is a holy call. God granted to Moses and to all his children an assurance of his continuing presence in their lives. Though Moses said he wasn't qualified, God gave him two promises in verse 12. I will be with you, and when you return. It was not if you return. It is not you have a good chance of returning and coming to the promised land. It was when you return, and you will return. God knew they would return. So God called Moses because the Israelites needed him. God does not call us to the struggle for no reason, though we may not always see the reason. 
There's always a reason, and often it involves being the hands, the feet, and the voice of God. All the generations of the Israelites that followed are certainly thankful Moses responded to God's call. So quickly we look to the struggle, sacrifice, and failures, and the shortcomings, and so quickly we lose sight of God's promises. I will be with you. You will return. We lose sight of the fact that lives have been changed because one is obedient in the call they experienced on that holy ground. They were faithful, and now lives are better because of it. If we take just a moment and think of the people that invested in your lives, just for a moment, whether that's family members or church members, in our summer ministry interviews this week, I heard one incredible testimony of a student who did not come from a church home or a church background. I said, well, how are you growing in the faith? Why is your faith so strong? What, you've been an incredible example on this campus over four years of sacrifice and faithfully serving God on mission trips and dedicating your life to ministry and missions. I'm really struggling to understand this. What happened? And she said, oh, that's my Sunday school teacher. And she picked me up every Sunday. And those times driving from my home to the church and church to the home is what formed me and she. Are you not thankful that a Sunday school teacher decided to pick a little girl up on her way to church? Invest in her life. If we look to the life of Moses and see only the struggles and failures, if we focus on the fact he never entered the promised land and not realize that he did lead the Israelites to the promised land, then we are focusing on Moses in this text. And that is where we go wrong. For this text is not about Moses. The main character in our text today is God. A God who promises to always be with us, who guarantees his presence and his victory. I will be with you. You will return. And God was with them, and the Israelites did return. I've come to the understanding that the pastor's dismissal from the church is not a story about a pastor's failure. Rather, it is a story about a pastor's faithfulness to the God he serves, to a faithful God. It's just that for some reason, God's call on his life included this devastating experience of having people you love ask you to leave. All too often, we put our own expectations on how serving the Lord should and how it should go. Though God does not guarantee wealth and fame, certainly he promises smooth sailing in life. If we're faithful to God and his call, he still guarantee good health for me and my family. If we're faithful to God, certainly our marriage will be smooth with very few troubles and very few arguments. If I'm faithful to God, certainly he will bring me a spouse to spend my life with. Certainly God will do that if I, if I faithfully serve. Certainly if I'm faithful to my holy ground experience, he he may not make me rich, but I'll, I'll never be in want. Certainly, if we follow God and be a child of God, we'll be healthy and blessed uh, all the days of our life. Certainly, if we follow this call, the church board won't ask us to leave. Certainly, if we follow this call of God, he will build our church in amazing ways. Certainly, if we give this, follow this call of God, we will get recognition and praise and adoration for the great work that we do. Certainly, if we follow this call of God, our children will be blessed. Certainly, if we follow this call of God in our family, we'll attend a church that has a great worship team and a phenomenal pastor, and the church will grow. Certainly, that's what will happen if we faithfully serve and follow God. At least, that's what I used to do. And even worse, that's how I used to live. God never promised any of us 
Instead, he promises much more. I will be with you. Every step of the way, we go together. When people reject you, remember, I will be with you, and remember that it is me they are rejecting, not you. When disease enters your families, know that I will be with you. When your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you and it breaks your heart, know that I will be with you. If I ask you to give up that relationship for the call I have upon your life, know that I will be with you. When you give your best and others say it's not good enough, know that it is good enough for me and that I am with you. When a friend or spouse abandons you in any form or fashion, know that I will never abandon you and I will be with you. When your parents die, I will still be with you. When the debts are high and the money is low and those student loan bills come in, know that I'll still be with you even then. When you're too tired to continue, know that my strength is sufficient and I will be with you. When you don't feel or sense my presence, know that I am here. I will always be with you. Many promises more. God also promises that through the pain and failures, through the victories and celebrations, through the deaths and struggles, through the good times and the bad, through the days of rejoicing and the days of suffering, through you I will fulfill my purpose through your life. I will fulfill my purpose, the purpose of God can be fulfilled through your life if you are faithful to these holy ground moments. And you will be part of the greatest purpose in the history of the world, the greatest work, the greatest calling in the entire world, the calling to set captives free. The holy calling God has prayed over your life may not be exactly like Moses, but it is very similar in its, in its format and what he is asking, to set the captives free. Do you want to be a teacher, a stay-home mom or dad, a white-collar worker, a blue-collar worker, a pastor, dentist, retiree? Do you want to serve in all walks of life and be part of the story of redemption and setting people free? Why wouldn't you want to be a part of Do you want to help a 15-year-old who can't read? Do you want to set that 15-year-old free and teach him how to read? That's setting someone free. Do you want someone that's in bondage to systems and structures that have kept them down to be part of breaking down those structures and systems to set those people free? Isn't that something you want to be a part of? This calling that God has on our life to break into those systems and structures, to go into that life of an individual, whether it's corporate or an individual, it's difficult because it is a spiritual battle. God wants to set them free, but the evil one does not. So why do you think it would be? There will be a battle. There will be a struggle. But remember God's promises. I will be with you. And you will return to the promise. Victory is sure. God has won. Do you want to dedicate your life to being part of God calling his children to healing, wholeness, and restoration? Or would you rather play it safe? Comfortable. Hem things in and try to maintain control. Buy a flock of sheep in New Hampshire and tend to them, maybe. Stop negotiating. Stop running. Embrace your strengths. Embrace your weaknesses and give them to God and allow Him to use your life to the fullest. As I started thinking of Moses' negotiation tactics, I started thinking of my own and I started thinking of ours. I can't help but think some of you have already checked out because classes have been difficult. 
You may have come from school systems that really didn't give you the very best that they could because maybe they didn't have the resources because there were those systems and structures that did not allow them to give you the very best of a high school education. And you've experienced failure in the past. So when you come to class and you struggle, you just kind of give up and joke and laugh about it. You kind of say, oh, you almost don't even care. And just turn around and go the other way. Meanwhile, you have professors and Center for Academic Success and coaches and, and all these people that are willing to journey with you that have been faithful to their holy ground moments for you to find freedom and you reject it. Many of you are honor students. You can go to any school or any institution you like to in your graduate work. But God's saying, oh, I have another plan for your life. He may be calling you to something. Say, Lord, no, 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 I've, I've studied this for four years. I've got straight A's. I can go to any graduate school I want. And, and you're scared and you're turning from the call he has on your life. And I'm not thinking of anyone specific, but I know it's all of us, wherever we are in the academic spectrum, wherever we are in the economic spectrum, all of us negotiate with God. And all of us are tempted to run. Some of you are, are running because the stress and the pressure of graduating is overwhelming. So you're negotiating with God. You don't want to give your best because you're concerned of what will happen and what it will look like. Or because you don't know what it will look like, you begin negotiating with God and you drink it away or you smoke it away or you sleep it away. You reject God. And this holy, beautiful, sacred call you have on your life. Maybe in some ways it would be easier if we decided to stay back and tend to shoot. Hem things in. Maintain control. That's a big one. Maintain control. Preferring that you be in control instead of God. Or you can choose to walk the road that God calls you to. Where he promises to always walk with you. And he promises to use your life for his grand purpose of redemption. His purpose of redemption of setting his children free and calling them home to the promised land. Do you want to be part of God's plan to redeem the world? Will you be faithful to those holy ground moments in your life? I know we have high school students here considering college. Maybe God's not calling you to ENC, but don't miss the fact that this is a holy ground, holy moment time for you. Not just in this chapel, but in these days and weeks and months as your family and friends journey with you the decisions you're going to make. It's a holy time. It's a call be faithful to. Those of you who are here already, recognize your presence here alone is a testimony to the faithfulness of God. Some of you don't even realize that. Be faithful with it. Be faithful for the way that your parents have invested in your life. Be faithful with any of those church members, whether it was a Sunday school teacher, where the parents were absent on Sunday, or whether it's a, 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 a teacher or a friend or anyone that's invested in your life. You being here is a testimony to the faithfulness of God, and that is holy and secret. There is no way around it. God charges us with enormous tasks. Tasks that are bigger than us. just want to keep it be honest. Often we will be inferior. Often we will be ignorant on what to say or how to say it. And often we will lack the credibility. Yet the call remains. We see from our text today that God's passion to set the people free has not been extinguished. 
The bush was ablaze and it did not burn up. And God's passion and call for your life is still ablaze today. It still remains. It's still holy and sacred. God is still calling. And he wants to light this passion within your heart. Will you allow God to set you ablaze with the same passion? The passion to give your lives to setting people free. To be part of leading people home to the promised land with our Lord and Savior. If we walk with God being faithful to these holy ground moments, we will be ablaze with the light, love, and passion of Christ. And God promises that we will burn without burning out. It's not about you. It's about the light and fire of Christ that burns within you. Will you be faithful to it? Allow God to set a blaze in your heart and life that will set the captives free. We all have the same calm to burn without burning out. And Christ promises us to be promises to be with us. And he promises us victory. And he promises his presence for all eternity. Will you be faithful for those of you that have been turning from this holy moment he has in your life? Turn toward him. Be faithful. Recognize you are a holy blessing of God. And your presence here is a testimony to that. We're going to ask the chapel team to come. We're going to sing a, a song in closing. And there's one verse in this song is why I asked them to do it in closing. It's their first week, and I kind of changed things on them. I appreciate them working with me. There's one line in this song that really stood out to me as they were practicing last night. I will be still and know that you are God. I will be still and know that you are God. This God who is faithful has called you. And he will walk with you. He will be faithful. Will you trust him? Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing and privilege it is to gather in your name. And I know we've heard a lot about required chapel and there are complaints that come and I have email boxes full of them sometimes. And I understand we're all in different places in our journey. And that's alright. But I also understand that every student that is sitting in the sanctuary this morning, college student, high school student, I know you have a holy calling upon them. And it will be many ways, many things, and many different places that will be lived out. So I pray for them now that they have the courage by your grace, that they have the strength by your grace to live out the direction and the call you have on them. And in those moments of struggle and strife, may we remember that we can be still and know that you are God and promise never to leave us or forsake us. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let us stand, sing the song.